Well, uh, welcome to our SOLA Network panel on the topic of race, gospel, and the local church. During our time together, we want to have an honest and thoughtful discussion on how the church can be a compelling witness when it comes to addressing issues of race, justice in America, race and justice in America. Uh, my name is Michael Lee, and I serve on the SOLA Council and as the lead pastor of All Nations Community Church. And it's my privilege to introduce our three panelists today. Uh, first to my left, we have uh, Pastor Bobby Scott. He's the pastor of discipleship at Community of Faith Bible Church in Los Angeles, California. Uh, next, we have P.J. Tavayan. He is the lead pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in Bellflower, Bellflower, California. And he also serves on the editorial board of the Sola Network. And finally, we have uh, Scott Sauls, the lead pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Appreciate your time, your friendship, and, and partnership uh, in ministry. Well, here we go. Um, yeah, just as we've seen this past year, uh, addressing issues of race and justice uh, can be difficult, uh, difficult and very divisive in the local church, whether we gave a, a sermon, a talk, a seminar, or a series on it. Um, those are some of our most divisive and difficult series. Um, here's the question, and I want to share it to Bobby first. Um, why is it important for the church to actually have the courage to talk about these issues? And um, yeah, what makes it so difficult? Are these distractions from the gospel, or are they implications from the gospel? And so what are your first thoughts on this? Yeah, thanks, Michael. Let me just address your, the first part of your question. Uh, why is this important for the church to address? Because the Bible does. Um, we are the pillar or the foundation and pillar for the truth and light and salt to any society. And so in order for us to be that, we need to be uh, agents of truth, speak, truth speakers. And uh, when we see problems in a society, we need to recognize, especially sin, that um, we have a unique voice, mm. a unique stewardship, and a unique opportunity to help. Um, I just think of Jeremiah 29, 7, where it says, Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. And so here we are Americans. We have a unique history as an Americans where racism uh, radically affected our nation uh, with slavery and then Jim Crow laws for some 350 years. And so how dare we as the church knowing that we've all been made in the image and likeness of God and seeing our nation racialized and a certain populations of various populations oppressed and not raise our voices. Mm -hmm. um, and just a famous quote by uh, Edmund Burke, uh, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do what? Nothing. So the church knows what sin is. And so we need to uniquely speak up and say something. And we didn't have enough uh, William Wilberforce is in our society. We've had, you know, abolitionists. We've had the Quakers. But for 350 years, voices that wanted to radically racialize our society won mm. those conversations. So much so you would have uh, Martin Luther King who would remind us in his Birmingham jail letter uh, of this fact that united we stand, divided we fall, so to speak. And he said this, moreover, I'm cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. And so if we stay divided, we will not do well and thrive as a nation. And we have been mandated to be a light, to be salt, and to pray for the well-being and pursue the well-being uh, of our society. So I, I think as Christians, we need to speak up. Mm. Uh, and then secondly, our issues of race and justice distractions um, for, for, for the gospel implications. Um, depending on how we define all of our terms, uh, I think clearly the Bible would tell us to love our neighbors, to love our neighbors, love them well, and we need to show fruit uh, bearing our sanctification. And so the last question is, where might these concerns lie in our gospel framework? Uh, if you know, I'm a missionary in Haiti and people are dying because of the water, and I have all the means in the world to build wells for fresh water, um, I mean, how am I going to not destroy my testimony and close doors when I say, oh, I'm only going to preach the gospel and people are dying all around me physically? I think we need to do what Jesus did. In Acts 10, 38, it's pretty clear. Jesus went around doing good. He heals a blind man and a guy didn't even know who he was. But it opens up the door for him to share the gospel. And so when we see blighted communities because it's been affected by systemic racism or oppression, uh, and we've been charged yeah. as a church in Acts 1-8 to cross all these boundaries to help, and we drive by those communities, roll up our windows, then how are we showing them the love of Christ that can open up doors mm -hmm. for us to preach the gospel that saves souls? Yeah. Bobby, you, I mean, you mentioned, and you said so many good things, but you talked about how our society has been racialized. You know, um, and so we, we're all part of like the human race, but there's something that has been done over centuries uh, here in, in, in our country that has racialized our communities. What, what, what do you mean by that? What, how can our, our viewers understand that dynamic? And yeah. Yeah, I mean, we are, when we talk about race, and I think we've got to define our terms over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, if I say biblically what is race, well, we're talking about the descendants of the one Adam and Eve. She is the mother of all the living. Yeah. So there's only one race. But in our American foundation, we, had, we created subhuman categories, and it was defined by skin color. And so we had to do that in order to allow slavery to flourish. And when we did that, we racialized not only our society, but then the church. If we baptize him, then he's, then he's really a Christian. He has all the rights of a Christian in the church, and we didn't want that either so that we had a subcategory within the church where blacks couldn't be allowed to be full members. So we racialized our society, we racialized our church. And now, it's, it's such a part of our society, the big melting pot that we claim that we are. You just look across America, people choose where they live based upon color. People choose uh, their friends based upon color. People choose who they marry based upon color. That we've racialized all kinds of aspects of our society and now as the church, we've got to openly recognize that and as the one people of God, uh, show the remedy to overcome that, and that's Christ. That's good. If I could add one other thing, just historically to um, the whole idea of being racialized, you know, 1 Timothy 6 says that the root of evil, or the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And really it comes from greed with the, with the slave trade originally. So anyone who wanted to overturn that or work against it, once the economic system got built on it, people wanting to hold on to their possessions and their economic flourishing had to come up with justification for why they're 
legitimately property rather than people and so forth. And so even, even underneath that racialization, it's really the justification of greed that, that really took over societies. Yeah, let me, so PJ, I, my mom and my uncle do a lot of family research, and we found my great-great-great-grandfather, Stephen Scott, through bank records. Because slaves were so valuable, they kept records, and so I now know who I am, a descendant of a slave, Stephen Scott, um, because of bank records. Wow. Um, I don't know about you brothers, but um, there were not a few times I heard this year, uh, stop talking about race, race, stop talking about cultural issues, just preach the gospel. Um, and I, I don't know if y'all have heard that, but how do we respond? Like is, uh, I guess the question is, yeah, are, are, is race, is talking about race and justice, the sin of racism, is that even though it's not a uh, actual, like, doctrinal gospel issue, is that something that flows from it as a gospel implication? So if we think about the gospel primarily, primarily as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, being saved by grace through faith, then they can say, just talk about that. Don't talk about race, politics, justice, social issues. Uh, but why is gospel-centered people, you know, and I think Bobby started to talk about that, why is, why is there a, a need for us to talk about these issues in the church, as the church? Yeah. Last I checked, love your neighbor is part of the gospel. Uh, it is doctrinal. To love your neighbor as yourself is based on a doctrine that we must love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, and uh, there, is no, there is no integrity in our preached gospel if there is a lack of um, a social dynamic that emphasizes the dignity of every, uh, every person from every background, from every nation, every tribe, tongue, people, group. Uh, Great Commission, the, the phrase Jesus used was, uh, we have it translated all nations. The, the Greek reads, ta ethne, all ethnic groups. Go into all the world to every ethnic group and preach the gospel. <laughs> uh, so you, you cannot separate the gospel from uh, leveling the ground for ta ethne, for all ethnic groups, for all people groups. The second command is just like the first one. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I, when, I, when I hear just preach the gospel, um, when, when it's used as an occasion to dismiss uh, particularly the cries that are coming from uh, Injured people groups, uh, people groups that uh, feel marginalized because they have been. Uh, it's not just a feeling. It's actually a, an existential reality that there are certain, uh, certain skin colors, certain ethnicities, certain you know, sort of Eurocentric um, um, origins that have had the advantage uh, economically, as, as PJ was saying, uh, uh, socially in terms of who has access to leadership and power uh, and decision-making and culture shaping for organizations, businesses, communities, cities, municipalities, the whole nation. Um, and so as the church, um, you, you can't 
just preach the gospel while leaving your neighbor out. Uh, You're actually preaching a sub-gospel, a substandard gospel, an incomplete gospel, when you only preach love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Uh, You know, C.S. Lewis said uh, that your neighbor, uh, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object that will ever be presented to your senses. And so there's, there's this sacredness of, of other human beings. And I, I think that it's important to remember as well in this conversation that when Jesus said to preach the gospel, uh, when he gave the great commission and said, go into all the world to all ethnic groups, uh, he was doing so from, uh, from the center of the earth and was talking about, in part, us who now reside at the ends of the earth, right? And so uh, it's a very arrogant thing to behave as if we are the center of the Christian story and everybody else gets to be grafted in when, in fact, we are on the periphery and we have been lovingly and graciously grafted in by our Savior who hails from, from the Middle East and um, with, uh, in all likelihood, uh, brown skin, um, Probably, probably more like your skin, PJ, than 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 mine or Bobby's. Uh, so, so which is a wonderful conglomerate, right? Of 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 you, you, of of dark and light skin is. Uh, I, I, you look at the Middle East and and you see, uh, in 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 that particular ethnicity, um, what it, what it might look like to put us all together <laughs> as one. Uh, and so there's just such a great symbolism there, even in the likely skin color of Christ himself. It was an inclusive color. Um, and so I just, I don't know how you can preach the gospel without loving people. And, and, and loving people includes being quick to listen and slow to speak and to be teachable, to be humble, um, to be ready at all times to repent of our own blind spots when those blind spots are exposed rather than getting defensive and testy about it. So... Yeah, thanks, thanks, God. I, if I could sympathize with the with the sentiment first before I agree with these brothers here. Yeah, I mean, if you're speaking about eternity, uh, people are going to heaven and hell, uh, new heavens, new earth, lake of fire in the end. And so, if we're talking about eternal good without the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, Christ coming, living our living the life we should have lived, perfect righteousness, dying on the cross for our sins, and rising from the dead, uh, and trusting in Him and repenting from our sins is and receiving him as Savior, Lord, and treasure, then yes, that is the only thing that's going to bring the eternal good. So in that sense, that is the gospel. It's justification by faith alone in Christ alone and what he's done for us. And that is really going to lead to eternal life. And so in that regard, I want to sympathize with it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to agree with with these brothers here in the sense that um, nobody just preaches the gospel. Even the people who are telling us to just preach the gospel are not preaching the gospel when they're telling us to just preach the gospel. You're not preaching the gospel to me when you're telling me to just preach the gospel, unless just preach the gospel is the gospel, and it's not. And, and I could sympathize with that. I get that. You're trying to grow me and challenge me, and you ought to, because um, the Great Commission, so if I could, I don't know if there's a, there's no Bible verse. I mean, um, you know, Scott was referring to, you know, Mark 16 with preaching the gospel from the, after Mark 16, 9. But anyways, um, the, the point I'm thinking is, There's no verse that says just preach the gospel that I could think of, but there are verses where it says, go therefore and disciple all ethnic people groups. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything or all that I commanded. So this Bible, we're, 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 to command, we're to obey all of the Bible. We're to teach the whole Bible. We're to, we're to obey everything that Christ commanded, including preaching the gospel and then the implications of the gospel. And, and you know, Scott was highlighting, love your neighbor as yourself, which is one of the commands that we're to teach people to observe as an expression of loving God with all that we are. So we can't obey the Great Commission. We can't obey Jesus, who embodies the gospel, who is the gospel, if we don't obey the Great Commission. So just preach the gospel. It's reductionistic. And it's inconsistent with the person who's saying it. Yeah, let me empathize, and then I want to ask you a follow-up question, Scott. Um, so, yeah, so PG, like PG said, if we're talking about just preach the gospel, um, and, I, I, and I hear the warning behind that, because there, uh, there's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to the gospel. And when I'm using the word gospel, I'm specifically saying what Jesus accomplished yeah. through his death and resurrection. So a lot of times we talk about, you know, we need to, well, the gospel is what Jesus did. And Jesus, through his death and resurrection, secured um, reconciliation between sinners and God. He did that. Um, but he also, in doing that, secured the uh, reconciled um, people together that he was saving into one new family. So there's a horizontal dimension and a vertical dimension. But if we cut out the vertical dimension and when we talk about getting people together, then we are sliding into a social gospel. And in, in history, we've seen that happen. And I, you know, the hero culturally, and I'm saying culturally, specifically, uh, Martin Luther King, that he uh, brought about radical changes horizontally uh, to America, which is for our, all of our good. But he, he didn't emphasize as much the dimension, the vertical dimension, where sin had to be atoned for through a a substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus alone made. Mm -hmm. And if you drop that and you're saying, then you need to say, no, we need to preach that. And not only, but we need to preach that vertical dimension. And so I would ask, Scott, and, I, and I've heard you say this before, and it's so helpful. So when we're called to reach and love these people, there are people who are uniquely vulnerable in given societies, you know, a quadrant, a, a quadrant of them. And so can you help us understand why is it important for us to uniquely reach some of them uh, the poor, the, the, the others that the Bible lumps together that we need to uniquely love in our gospel effort? Well, what Jesus said to his disciples and, and continues to say to us is, follow me. And everywhere that he, f everywhere that he went, everywhere that people followed him, it was directly into you know, those places where uh, people on the margins, people who were disadvantaged, who, were, um, uh, who didn't have the networks uh, resided. And, and really, probably the better word is survived or were, were trying to survive. Uh, you, you look at the people that Jesus gave special attention to, uh, even from... Uh, the people that he chose to be his disciples were predominantly blue-collar people. Of course, there was Saul of Tarsus, who was you know, more of an elite, but he had to knock him down a, you know, a significant peg or two or three in order to get him to the humble place. Uh, so he could see himself, so Paul could see himself as an equal uh, with those he used to despise. Um, you see Jesus choosing uh, women who were marginalized uh, and dismissed and 
disrespected and disregarded. And you, you see Jesus choosing particularly Mary Magdalene, who had been previously possessed by a demon, to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection, uh, which is an empowerment, to, to make them the first witnesses. It's, it's a statement. Um, we see Jesus constantly you know, healing the sick, touching contagious lepers who were regarded as unclean and not fit for, for the worship of God. I mean, it's just everywhere you turn. If you're going to follow Jesus, that's where you're going to go. He, he, he wasn't trying to... Um, he wasn't trying to make it into the green room. <laughs> you know, he was, he was going to the places that most people wanted to avoid because there were image bearers there were being overlooked. And then you could say Zacchaeus as well. Uh, there's a rich man, but he was also outcast. Uh, he was socially outcast, despised and rejected by men, uh, Zacchaeus was, uh, by virtue of his profession and his behavior, and yet... Jesus even saw an unjust man uh, as one who would be a beneficiary of, of, of the justice that he satisfied, to your point, on the cross, on his, uh, you know, his death and then his burial and his resurrection. Uh, and so um, it, it's pretty amazing how far across the aisle, if we talk, want to talk about partisanship, how far across the aisle... Jesus was constantly reaching in all directions, not just one. Yeah, that's good. Well, uh, PJ, next question for you. Uh, as you've been the lead pastor of your church now, um, through this very difficult and kind of explosive last year, um, what, what challenges have you faced as you, actually, you have a, a pretty diverse congregation, as you've tried to teach and lead through these issues of, of race injustice and, and, and things like that, uh, what challenges have you faced? And uh, any word of just encouragement for leaders who want to lead their churches uh, to be more gospel-reflecting? Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that second one's really loaded. We could go all day on that one. Um, as far as the challenges I faced at Bethany Baptist Church in Southeast Los Angeles, so um, being a, a diverse church, I, I mean, our challenges are always going to be our own sins, right? So sins uh, individually and then sins culturally or even demographically in our church. And so I think the biggest challenge for us during this season was facing, uh, having humility to admit we have blind spots and, to, and then to really listen to each other. You know, Hebrews 3, 12 and 13 talks about the sin that deceives us. And so we need brothers and sisters to exhort us daily while it is still called today that we're not hardened by sin's deception. So uh, the challenge for us has been to humbly realize we have blind spots, to listen to each other, and, to, and then to think through, um, think through how to move forward. Uh, I'm sure all of us have faced this as pastors. We have members who are on cable news all the time and on uh, social media and on, and on the internet. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, they're looking for their kind of hobby horses or their chords to be struck in the church. And so that, that's been the challenge. You know, but to be honest, I mean, Bobby and I, are, we, we work in the same area. God's put us in the same harvest patch here in, in, in Los Angeles. But um, we have mutual friends who've had huge hits to their churches where people have left, you know, a, a quarter, a third of their church leaving and just losing all kinds of money and financial support. And so that's been really difficult for those types of churches. Uh, my encouragement to leaders is... Uh, in leading in a situation like this, a few different thoughts are coming to my mind, but one of them would be, you know, James 4, 1 and 2 talks about where does conflict arise 
from among you? Does it not rise from our, our desires in our heart, our evil desires? And then he calls us, uh, uh, if you're in love with the world, you're an adulterer because we're trying to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we're actually loving some other idols at the same time. And when I have an idol and you step on my idol, we're going to fight, right? Or if you're, not, if you're not petting my idol, we're going to fight, right? And so um, I think as leaders, we need to, one, be humble ourselves, be examining our own hearts, taking the logs out of our own eyes, and then teaching our people that, there is sin in our lives, so, so getting to the root, and I, I mean, this might be a good thought experiment here, I don't know if, if you guys want to do this, like, what would be the root sin that's causing all of this division in our churches regarding the race issue? That might be a good thought experiment here in terms of answering that question as best we can from James 4, 1 through 2, but I think as pastors, we know what to do with sin. We, we, um, we preach the gospel. We invite people to Christ. We invite them to repent from their sins, to trust in Christ, and to experience the gospel afresh. So we know what to do with sin. I think the question challenge for us as leaders is actually identifying sin, calling it out, and then loving people through it as fellow sinners who are trying to restore other sinners um, with the gospel. I think that's the challenge as a leader. That's good. Can I? Can yeah, I please. PG? So what is the James <laughs> 4, 1 and 2 root like sin that our different groups are struggling with? Okay, so... Um, I know you've thought about it. Yeah, and I get in trouble when I, when I say this. So I think, and this might be a little, I don't know, I'm not sure if it's controversial, but as I've thought about James 4, 1 and 2, in relation to the race issue, I think that the divisive sin amongst Christians and churches is, in America, the unintentional yet inevitable indifference toward our African-American neighbors. The unintentional yet inevitable indifference toward our African-American neighbors. I think that's the core of it. And so um, from that, I, and when I say that, so basically the sin is a failure to love your neighbor as yourself, but I'm using a very American answer here in terms of our context. And when I say failing to love your neighbor as yourself, what I'm saying is I'm using love here in the Philippians 1-9 sense, where Paul prays for our love to abound in knowledge and discernment. So notice I, I use the word unintentional. Because I'm not going to charge my Christian brothers and sisters and fellow pastors of intentionally not loving their African-American brothers as they, and sisters as they love themselves. But it's unintentional. There's a lack of discernment that there actually is an ethnocentric oppression in our culture, yeah. in our society. That exists. So, that's an, that's an obje- like, so I think the main ontological debate, disagreement, is does it actually exist or not? Okay, and I think we, we run too much with the divisions to start fighting over solutions that we haven't even agreed on the problem. Does it exist or does it not exist? Okay, so then now you have to argue for that. I'm going to say it does just for the sake of this conversation. It does exist. Now, if it does exist, the brothers and sisters and Christians who don't see that it exists are not intentionally trying to oppress others with ethnocentrism. Yeah. But because they don't actually, they haven't reckoned with the fact that it actually exists, it's an inevitable an unintentional indifference, a lack of Christian love. And that's sinful. And because of that sin, that's causing all kinds of division. And so when we start talking about it and start pointing at it, um, you know, I'm defensive. If you confront me with my sin, yeah. we're going to get defensive. And, that's, and then you start talking about solutions. And then you know, there's a thousand different ways that Satan is going to take this powder keg and, and, and get us derailed from actually making headway in terms of acknowledging sin, repenting from sin, and then being restored in Christ. Yeah, um, Scott, you're in Nashville. I'm from Atlanta. It's the Bible Belt, you know. Um, but I know you guys have a, a lot of members who are at Vanderbilt University. That's a pretty liberal, progressive university as well. Um, just how's it been 
difficult for you kind of leading your church and, um, yeah, keeping the church united, loving one another, loving their neighbors, and speaking prophetically into some of these issues? So Nashville, uh, many might be surprised to hear, is no longer a Bible Belt city. Mm. It's very much a coastal city now. Uh, Los Angeles Times, New York Times, both, both referred to Nashville as the third coast. Um, I've got more New York City friends in Nashville than I do in New York City, uh, having come to Nashville from New York uh, because of the migration. A lot of people from West Coast as well. And uh, yeah, I, but I did come in nine years ago to a church that had historically been um, Bible Belt, Southern, uh, white, traditional, and Republican. And over, over the course of the last nine years, it's become much more diverse. Um, started with generational diversity, and then um, you know, we brought on an Asian-American brother named Paul Lim to be uh, the second most frequent uh, preacher in our community, second only to me as the senior pastor. Uh, and that started slowly opening you know, doors for, for people of color and, and minority uh, brothers and sisters to uh, find their way into our community. And, and uh, of course, Paul is also a Vanderbilt professor. Uh, and, um, and yes, we have, we have lots of Vanderbilt medical professors and, uh, or I'm sorry, medical professionals and, and also professors and admin folks. Uh, and we've got this mix. Uh, we're probably, I'd say, as a church now, uh, uh, as a multi-site church now, we've got four different locations. Uh, just brought on the first African-American pastor that our presbytery has ever had, wow. uh, which is both bad news that it's taken 40 years and good news that <laughs> some change is happening uh, in Micah Edmondson and his wife, Christina, and they're, they're doing a wonderful job uh, in the Bordeaux, Bordeaux neighborhood, which is 82% African-American, as I understand it, and you know, flanked by two historic black universities. And so, so there's some really beautiful progress that we're getting to you know, participate in in that regard of, of just the diversi slow diversification of the church. But it has also brought um, uh, you know, to the surface some, some very important conversations like the one we're having right now where you know, there has been, you know, when you put together, you know, uh, Caucasians and Asian Americans and African Americans and uh, Indian Americans and Native Americans and such under the same roof, still with you know very much white majority. Um, it, there's a lot more of that prophetic speak and that prophetic voice in our midst that uh, that has rattled some people and some have left, that has energized some people uh, as some have repented uh, and and sought more awareness and, and, and learning from a humble place, and it's, it's starting to settle into this really meaningful dialogue of, 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 of different voices and different perspectives coming to the table to decide, you know, under the Lord and before the Lord what, it, what it's supposed to look like moving forward as a, you know, a, 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 what, what we're hoping will become a true, robust, multicultural church across the city. And so we're still in the very early stages, and 
I wish Micah were here to answer the question because he might have a different perspective. I would imagine that it's more challenging for him than it is for me uh, to, to come into the situation that he has and the history that he's come into. It took a lot of courage um, and a lot of bravery and uh, a deep rooting in the gospel. But, um, you know, like I said so far, doing a wonderful job stretching us and teaching us and um, look forward to whatever the future holds there. Yeah.